0: Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. That's what the angel said to the shepherds one night on Judean hillside. They were there. We, uh, you know, we, we tend to think it was wintertime. We tend to think it was cold. But it, it, we don't know exactly what time of year it was, but we do know it was night. And they were there, and the, um, you know, the evening was probably starting to dwindle down. They probably had supper and uh, were there around the campfire probably drawing straws to see who was going to take what watch that night, and who's going, to get some, who's going to get the first round of sleep, who's going to watch the sheep, and so that the sheep were always cared for and tended <clears throat> throughout the night. And so some were getting ready to, to go to bed, some were getting comfortable for, the, for, the, for that first watch. And as they were there, all of a sudden, uh, what was a calm and peaceful night all of a sudden changed rapidly when a whole host of angels appeared and said, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. All of a sudden, what once was a peaceful night became not so peaceful with this bold proclamation. And have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed how interruptions can disturb our peace? How interruptions can disturb our peace. Maybe you have holiday plans. Maybe uh, you, you have holiday plans to go one place or another, and, and then all of a sudden, someone's plans conflict with yours. All of a sudden, someone invites themselves to your party. Have you ever done that? Maybe you had, you know, a certain party, a certain number of seats and a certain amount of food. And then all of a sudden, somebody shows up who wasn't invited. It's like, oh, I thought, oh, you know, do I have plates? Do I have seats? Do I have food for all these people? All of a sudden, you, you begin to wonder, hey, I had these plans and they've been interrupted. They've been thrown off. Where once was peace, there is now chaos. Maybe your holiday plans involve travel and all of a sudden someone gets sick. Maybe there's bad weather. When we went to uh to South Carolina last week going over the mountains in North Carolina coming in and going, we had we had some fog. Like serious fog. Like the the variable speed the speed limit signs on the highway went down to thirty and we had flashers on and we were just hoping that everybody was paying attention and gonna play by the rules because it was thick, it was it was pretty dangerous. We made it there and back safely with no no cause for alarm and Sometimes bad weather throws itself stuff off. Maybe there's an illness. Maybe there's some sort of issue. Maybe there's all of a sudden a relationship issue. All of a you're like, oh, I got to go spend Christmas with them, and we're fighting, and things are difficult. But what would it be like? What would it be like if our lives were marked by peace? What would it be like if our lives were marked by peace? Some might think that would be kind of just mundane. It might be a little boring. It would be like tranquil. Uh, like, uh, like, uh, like uh, peace would mean that it would be defined by the lack of activity. I don't think peace means the lack of activity. I think peace is more characterized by a life of alignment. Like, when all the pieces fall in place, well, I mean, you know, have you ever thought about that? You, know, you, you got a whole big long list of, you know, to-do lists to, to accomplish today, and you're like, how am I going to get it all done? And, and when you look back at the end of the day, you're like, everything lined up. And you were like hyper productive, and you got everything done. It's kind of like if you're driving through town and you get all green lights going down the dual highway, how fast can you get from here to Walmart? And you're like, oh, oh, look at that. Green lights all the way. You, you, you know, you're rolling up and you're like, oh, it's, that, that, one's, that, that one's red. I'm going to have to slow down. I'm going to have to stop. No, turns green and you just get to keep on going. How awesome is it when things line up the way you want them to. Peace is not a lack of activity. Peace is the presence of alignment. And so why then do we feel so much chaos in our life? And I believe we feel chaos in our life because we are out of alignment with God. Has anyone ever driven a car that's in need of a front-end alignment? I mean, that can be rough to hold on to, right? I mean, it's just, you know, thing, you know, braking's weird, driving, and you're like, you know, it's just it's a, it's a awful, right? Your, your, your tires are not pointing in the right direction. Things are kind of all skewed. And, and things aren't, you know, your, 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 your suspension, your tires aren't able to work effectively and efficiently to get you where you need to go. Things are out of alignment. And it causes the ride to be rough. It, it causes things to not perform as well as they could. And the same is true with us. When our lives are out of alignment with God, His peace cannot flow to us and through us as effectively and as efficiently as God would want. God cannot bless things that are out of alignment with him. God cannot bless things that are out of alignment with him. His character and his holiness will not allow it. So what must happen for us to be able to experience the presence of God's peace in our life? I think Paul's going to help us understand that. If you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians, the, the, the church in Ephesus is, is, is one spot where Paul probably spent the most time out of any singular spot in all of his ministry. And so Paul, uh, he is currently in prison and he writes this letter back to his friends in Ephesus. He wants to continue to encourage them in this early part of the letter. He's reminding them of their identity in Christ, who they are in Christ. And so he he's right there in this. You know, here's who you are. You've been bought. You 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 are you're Christ's child. You're and 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 the section just before where we're going to start today he says you're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves; it is the gift of God that no one man that no man can boast. We've been recreated in Christ. That we are His workmanship to do the good deeds that He's planned in advance for us to do. Paul continues and he says this, he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you were you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. He remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing law of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. As we begin, first thing we need to do is zoom way out. We need need to kind of take a a 30,000-foot view before bringing it in for a landing. See, from the very beginning of time, God always dealt with his people through covenants. You go back to Genesis 1 and 2, and and God deals with Adam and Eve through a covenant. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Rule over all the earth and and hold it in your dominion. And so God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. He gave humans the rule over all the earth, all the plants and all the animals. He said, be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth. And he sent them out. And there they were, they lived in Eden, and, and, and I imagine they may have lived there for a while. He said, He said, Here's just here's here's the one rule. You can eat from any tree, any plant in all the garden, except for this one. Except for this one, cannot eat of it or you will surely die. And Satan uses that and speaks to Eve, and Sin enters the world. And the covenant with Adam was, was broken. They leave Eden. They 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 they, they fill the earth. They, 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 you know, there's more and more and more people, and and there, as more and more people uh, fill the earth, there's more and more sin. And and by Genesis six, God is so grieved that He's even made man that He just wants to reset and start all over. And so He finds a righteous man named Noah. And through Noah, He says, "No, I need you to build a boat because I'm going to flood the earth." and I need you to to, to, to build it in such a way that it can house all these animals and your family. And So he builds it. And as he builds it, people come by and they're mocking him and they're making fun of him. And and Noah's preaching the whole time. Hey, when the time comes, you need to be on the boat. That's the only way you're going to be safe. They're like, it's not going to be rain. There's never been rain here. And they they don't believe. And all of a sudden, the animals come. They get in the boat. The door shuts. There's rain. Everybody's flooded. And the only family that is saved is Noah's. They get out of the ark, and God says, I will never flood the earth again. I'll prove it to you by putting a rainbow in the sky. He says you can eat any of the plants, any of the animals. Just don't eat the blood of the animals. The life of the animals and the blood, and there's a covenant with Noah. I'm never going to destroy the earth again by flood. Short time later, a few generations, all of a sudden there's a man named Abraham. Abraham, God calls Abraham out of the land of Ur, and He says, "I need you to leave your family and your land and your your people, and I need you to go to this land that I will show you. and And if you do this, you'll be blessed. And, and along the way, God slowly reveals His covenant to Abraham. He says he he uh, uh, said, he gives him a sign that's going to distinguish His people from the rest of the people, and He says you, He gives him the sign of of circumcision. And that all of God's people will, will have this physical sign and everybody else will not. And, and so they go on and then all of a sudden there's this, there's this covenantal ceremony. And God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I, I need you to cut a, a bull and a heifer and a, a ram and a sheep and cut these animals in half and lay them out and I will appear to you. And so Abraham makes these sacrifices. He cuts the animals in half and they are laid out on the ground. And Abraham is there waiting for God. As night falls, God appears to Abraham. The image of a burning torch. And in, in these ceremonies, you would often have these, make these sacrifices. You'd have these animals slaughtered, and they would lay side by side. And and usually, the person who was lesser would approach the one who was greater, as they would reveal the terms of the covenant. Here's the terms of the covenant that we will each meet and grant. And, and the lesser one would approach the greater, and so saying that if they failed to uphold their end of the covenant, may it be to me as it is to these animals. So God meets with Abraham. And you expect to read that Abraham approaches God. But God moves through the animals and approaches Abraham. Abraham. What he says is that the whole world is going to be blessed through your family. That if you fail to uphold your end of the covenant, if this covenant is broken, may it be to me as it is to these animals. God's people do grow. Abraham's family does grow, and they become a great nation. They end up in uh, Egypt and they're enslaved for 400 years, and God calls Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And so they go in, and he talks to Pharaoh, and there's plagues, and there's mighty acts of God, and, and, and the people are able to, to leave Egypt. And they go through the Red Sea, and they make their way to Mount Sinai, and there God makes a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. And there's more bloodshed. There's more sacrifices. And, and if you read the law, there's sacrifices for sin. There's sacrifices, these offerings. And, and there's this and that. And there's. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, it seems like God just wants blood all the time. But all covenants had to be ratified by, by blood. So God creates this covenant with Moses, with the people of Israel. God always deals with his people through covenants. So Paul makes this distinction. He says he, he's writing to the people in Ephesus, and the people in Ephesus were, were mainly Gentiles. There weren't, there weren't very many Jews in the church there. And so he's like, hey, remember, we, we, you know, the, the, the Jews in the air would call themselves a the circumcision, and they would call you guys the uncircumcised. And so he's just kind of drawing these lines. This is our past reality. This is the, the history that we all have come out of. And he says, Do you remember that that time? Because remember when, when when we had these two groups, you were separate from Christ, and you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God and the world. You were on the outside looking in. You didn't have access to the covenant community. You were on the outside. You had no the, the, he said you had no Messiah, you had no messianic expectation to bring you salvation. This is merely the distinction. You're not entitled to the benefits of the king, of the covenant with God. But all those covenants, they were made with certain people at a certain time, and they were suitable for a certain time in a certain place with a certain group. But it seems like after a while that certain covenants kind of are no longer in place. The covenant with Adam. Kind of died out when they left the when they left the garden. The covenant with with Noah kind of seems to be like this, this overarching kind of covenant that that you know, kind of may continue or whatever. The, the one with Abraham with Moses, with Abraham and the people of God that these covenants were for a certain time in a certain place and a certain people that would lead to a certain end. So we celebrated a part of that covenant this week. We celebrate part of that covenant every week, right? When we gather around the table, when we have commun- take communion, we participate almost in a way a portion of the Passover, uh, Passover meal, which is part of the Mosaic covenant. But Jesus, on his, at his last Passover, he gathers his disciples around. He says, guys, you know how we've been doing this for all these many years? All those things pointed to me. They all pointed to me. And that's why he says, as he's there and he takes the bread, he takes the cup, he says, this is a new covenant in my blood. It's built on this old covenant, but that old covenant is now gone. It's now been replaced. It's replaced with this new covenant. If we have something new, the old is no longer in place. The new is better. And Jesus this new covenant in my blood all that, all those sacrifices, everything from all the years, pointed to me. And all those people who were on the outside looking in have now been brought near through the blood of Christ. They were on the outside looking in, but now they've been brought near through the blood of Christ. That Jesus would go to the cross; that he'd be crucified once and for all for all the sins for all mankind. And because Jesus sacrificed himself, he became our peace. He became our peace. See, there was two groups, and he made these two groups one. Destroyed the barrier, destroyed the wall of hostility. He came to be our, our peace. First of all, his death made peace between God and man. His death made peace between God and man. Remember, salvation is not based on human effort. It's not based on our goodness or our greatness, or our ability to accomplish anything. So no one can boast. It's purely by God's grace. It is the gift of God. God made peace with us through Jesus. And in so doing ended the covenant with Abraham and ended the covenant with Moses at the same time. you so remember, terms of the covenant not kept, the one who passed between the animals paid the sacrifice. It may be to me it wasn't as God passed through the animals, as man continued to sin, it was the blood of Jesus that fulfilled the terms of the covenant. Even today, we are not able to live in perfect harmony with God. So God sent his son Jesus to be a sacrifice for us that we might be reconciled back to him. So Jesus came to be our peace, to satisfy, to make peace between God and man, but not just between God and man, but also between man and man. We see this almost weekly, don't we? There are, you know, a lot of times we paint with a broad brush. We use stereotypes and we tend to lump people all together. Like people from different, ind- different individuals and d- people from different groups and different races. And we say, oh, they look alike and they talk alike, so they all must be alike. And so we speak of generalities. But when we speak in generalities and we believe in generalities, we tend to stir up hostility between people. You know, all those people are like that. And so there's tension between man and man. There's conflict and there's chaos between people, between groups, between races, between nations. See, there's this wall that was built up between the Jews and the Gentiles. In the Old Testament, God said he wanted his people to come away and be separate because the the other nations might lead them astray. And as you read through the Old Testament, as you read through the Old Testament history, you see that, that time and time again that these outside nations would have influence on God's people and pull them away until they are led off into captivity because they had so fallen away from God. But when they come back, when they come back, they rebuild the temple. And when they rebuild the temple, they build the temple with certain courts for certain groups. They build these walls to keep certain people out. In fact, Paul is in prison because uh, he was, uh, it was thought that he brought a, a non-Jewish man in past a certain gate. The first outer gate, was the, the outer court was called the Court of the Gentiles. And this was kind of the marketplace where, where those from the surrounding nations would bring their stuff. They'd bring their stuff to the temple. They'd set up in this outer courtyard, and they might sell their goods and wares to them. And so people in the, from the area, they could come and they could gather in this place. that They could be part of this community temple area. But if you were, if you were a Gentile, if you were not a Jew, if you'd not been circumcised, you couldn't, you couldn't go past that gate. In fact, if you did, it was the only legal reason that the Romans gave the Jews that they could kill someone on the spot. That's how strong that law was. They said, the only the only form of execution you can do is if someone violates the outer ba- boundaries of your temple. So you passed out of the, the court of the Gentiles, you passed into the court of women. And so all Jewish people could pass by that court, but this court uh, w- 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 was uh, where uh, a lot of times the offering receptacles were set up at. Remember Jesus with the widow's mite, and she f- he finds her there, and they're in this outer courtyard, and they go and... And, and, and as they, they gathered, the, the, this is where the, the women could gather, but they couldn't go past the next gate. They couldn't go into the next court, the court of Israel, the court of Jewish men. And so they they had that. You had the court of the priests on into the temple proper and the Holy of Holies. At each level, you had to be passed through a certain grid. You had to pass a certain checkbox, and there were these walls that were built up. Jesus came not only to make peace between God and man, but also between man and man. And John, in the book of Revelation, he writes this. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So God first came and made a covenant with a certain people. But when Jesus comes, he doesn't just make a covenant with just the Jewish people. He makes a covenant with the world. Abraham, through your offspring, through your family, the whole world will be blessed. And Jesus comes and he makes peace between God and man. He makes it so we can have peace between man and man. And by the time we look into the temple in heaven, there are no walls. There are no boundaries that everyone meets all together. No matter what tribe and tongue and language and gender, we are all together worshiping the Lamb. And out of the two, God, Jesus, came to create one new humanity. Out of the two. And making peace between them. Peace. Peace came at a price. A steep price. The price for freedom is peace and freedom never are free. And so it took the blood of Jesus, it took his death on the cross to put to death their hostility. It took the cross to make this our reality so that both those who are far and both those who are near can have peace, can be at peace. The result of this is that we once were considered foreigners and strangers we are now citizens. We are now members of God's household. And if we, if we are members of God's household, then that means we are family. And if we're family, there's always a place at the table. There's always a place for us in the family. We are now citizens of God's kingdom and we are now members of his household. We've been granted permission to come near. We're not just servants. We're not just friends. But we're part of the inner circle. And then Paul gives us he gives us a visual picture. He that we're being built into a house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and that Jesus is the cornerstone, that we, we were being built together, we're rising to become a holy temple in the Lord. Those of us who have aligned ourselves with Jesus, have you ever tried to build something and not built it off of a, a singular point? And all of a sudden, your measurements get off and things are, get out of alignment and things get all wonky. See, the house that God is building is built off the cornerstone of Jesus. And as we, uh, it's on, He is the one on whom we align our lives. See, we don't conform Jesus to us. We don't take we we don't read scripture we don't we don't we don't conform and go, Jesus, I don't like that about you, and so I'm gonna I'm to take how you are and make you like this so that you're a little bit more like me. We don't make Jesus in our image. We don't conform Jesus to us. We allow Jesus to conform us to be him like him. We don't take scripture. We don't take the pages of scripture and, and cut and pa- paste and paste and then take those sections just that we want things that are good and feel comfortable to us. We don't conform scripture to our culture. We take scripture allow scripture to conform us to be like Jesus see when we live out of alignment with God there we find chaos there we find hurt there we find tension and and discord and, and hatred as we align ourselves with Jesus he forms us into a holy temple to the Lord and that's interesting how this building that once had several courts now has all the walls torn down so we all have access so that in the, and in this temple dwells the very presence of God. Verse 22 ends with, it says, and in him we're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. See, the presence of God, the presence of God brings peace. The presence of God brings peace. Maybe you remember that old bumper sticker. Maybe you've still seen it on the car every now and then. It says, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. So when we live without the presence of Jesus in our lives, we cannot and will not know peace. Without Jesus, we are still enemies of God because of our sin. That the rules of the covenant with God, we're fighting against the rules of the covenant that God has made with man. So if we sin, we break the rules, we still have to die. That was set back in place in Eden. It's, it's been carried on through every through every next covenant. That our sin separates us from God. And God repeats that part in each subsequent covenant. Abraham, had a, uh, Abraham thought he was going to have to pass through the animals. Moses had burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Sin brings about death, brings about separation. But there's now, there's now a new covenant. Not one ratified with the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of God's own son, Jesus. That he died in our place because we were unable to, fulfill the terms of the covenant. We broke the covenant. The punishment ought to have been on us, but he stood in our place. He took his death on our shoulders so that we might know peace. Paul said it like this to the church in Colossians, in Colossae. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness due to our sin, which stood against us and condemned us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It started with Christmas as a gift, but it ends with Easter with a victory. This means that by his death, we can have life that those who were previously God's enemies, God can now call friends, and more than that, family. He wrote to the church, that for if we were were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, should be saved through his life? If his death brought forgiveness, how much greater the life we have because of Jesus' resurrection. The presence of God brings peace. See, God provided peace through the person of Jesus. God provided peace for us through the person of Jesus. And, and, and from this, we learn that, we, that we, we can trust the fact that we are never alone. We are never alone. One thing that the presence of God's peace in our life provides for us is that we are never alone. Three different times in Jesus' ministry, he told his disciples, hey, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and I'm gonna die if I'm gonna raise again. And they missed it. Guys, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna raise again. They missed it. Gu- guys, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna die at the hands of the, the leaders and, and they're, they're gonna crucify me and they're gonna bury me and I'm gonna raise again. They missed it. In the upper room, Jesus, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you and are like, where are you going? Like, you know the way. How do we know? You're, you're leaving us? And Jesus is like, where have you guys been? I've told you three times. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise again. You I'm going to raise again. Like, what? Jesus said, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be with you. A promise for all those of us who are in Christ And as he's telling them about the Holy Spirit, he says this, Peace, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I I give to you my peace. I'm sending you my spirit who will live in you, who will be with you. You are never alone. Not only are we never alone, but we will never be alone defeated, and there are days, there are days where you probably wonder if everybody's against us, if no one is for us. There are probably days that sometimes we might even begin to doubt just a little bit the the truth about God. Is he really there for us? Is he really, do we feel all alone? Is he really going to be there? Is he really going to come through? Maybe we've had those days and those times. Is God really on my side? And Jesus knew that hard times were coming for his disciples. He knew that in a matter of hours, they were going to see him crucified on a cross. That he was going to die. And they were going to scatter. And they were going to wonder, are they going to come for me next? Am I next? Are they going to come down and find me? And they were wondering, are we all defeated? Jesus said, if this is how they treat me, it's also how they'll treat you. And so he tells them, I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. You are frightened, and you are worried, and, you're, and, and rightfully so. Things are going to look bad for a few hours here. But I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. By having any trouble this week? Does trouble sometimes just seem to find you? See coming to Jesus doesn't take away all of our trouble. It doesn't make our life smooth, just easy going. In this world, we will have trouble. But take heart. Take courage. I have overcome. The presence of God's peace tells us that we are never alone. And it tells us that we are never going to be defeated because he has overcome the world. We don't have to understand everything that's going on. But we can hang our hat on this one truth. That if Jesus predicted his death and resurrection, told his disciples again and again that it was going to happen, and then he did it, then the words that he says in Scripture are true. And we ought to live and follow after him, because if he predicted it and then did it, the other things that he said in Scripture are true as well. See, our world is full of discord. It's full of tension, not just holiday stress, not just travel plans and making sure you have the right gift, but a lot of times life in general can just be difficult. You can feel stress and discord, hatred and tension. When you find these things, sin is likely there. But if you want peace, if you want to know peace, if you want to live in peace, you must walk in the way of Jesus. We must begin to bring God's presence to every situation. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like if we all lived like this? If we all lived out the presence of God in our life? if we brought the presence of God's peace to every situation, as we think about the presence that will open in a few days, may our mind also turn to the presence of God in our life already. As we seek him, may we find the peace he longs to bring. May we align ourselves with God, so that his peace may live in us. Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to men, on whom his favor rests. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the peace that you long to give us in our life thank you for the peace that we have because of Jesus. The peace available to us. That those of us who were once on the outside looking in, we can come near to you because of the sacrifice of your son. You tore down that dividing wall. And instead of being two, we are now one in you and that we have access to your presence uh, through your spirit. through your love, through the gift of your son, Jesus. We have access to you. Not just us, but all everyone we encounter. People who are far away, people who are near. Father, might we help them experience your peace this time of year. That in all the hustle and the hubbub of life, that you would make yourself real in their life, and that they may come to know your son, Jesus. Father, might we be an example of your peace as we go about our day. Help us to take Jesus with us wherever we go. Father, we thank you for your goodness your love. In his name I pray.